Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. Are you all well tonight? Great, thank you. Um, it's always great to be back at this church. I love coming here to the noisiest church in Australia. Uh, that when the pastor gives, gives announcements, nobody listens at all. They just keep talking to their friends. Is that true? Yeah, it's good. And but you know what's worse about that? You're all proud of it. You're proud of the fact you don't listen to your pastor when he gives announcements. So, um, so it's, it's really, really great. And as he mentioned, my role is, is, is to lead a mission agency that, that works among what we call the least rich people groups of the world. And your church is a partner of ours. We have about uh, 600 people that serve in our mission, uh, 240 missionaries, 360 indigenous leaders as well. And only three people are paid in the whole organization. And they are the people in our headquarters in Singapore who administer the finance. Everyone else is a volunteer. And so you are empowering us to do what we're doing in the nations of the world. So we're really grateful for that as well. And you are making a difference. In some of the most remote, distant, hard places on earth, we have people there, which is, um, is very exciting. Now, I've got to preach a short message tonight, good news and bad news. It's only a short message tonight because I've got to leave in about half an hour to get to the airport to catch the plane to go home. I'm in the middle of a busy time. And you're supposed to go, oh... That's right. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Most of you are going, I love short sermons <laughs> as well, if the truth was known. Just quickly, uh, one quick, quick, quick commercial before I start. I've written a book called Inside Out, which is a biblical and a practical look at the topic of self-leadership. It was Bill Hybels who said, the most difficult person you will ever lead is you. And often the person who rebels most against you and your leadership is you. And so this book is about how to get you together. It's having a look at many different aspects of how to get your life together. It's basically written about all the things I wish someone had taught me when I was a younger minister. It has a look at the areas of self-discipline and self-control, self-development, just doing what we can to be the best we can for God. If God has called us and God has given us, us, us a position of leadership, there's, a, there's an opportunity that we need to respond and begin to work in our lives. Now, I've only got four copies left, um, and they're available as you walk out tonight, uh, three plus the one that's up here uh, as well. Okay, I want to turn your attention tonight to the Gospel of John. And in a couple of moments, I'll read, just read two verses to you, found in chapter th 13, verses 34 and 35. The Gospel of John, chapter 13, and in a couple of moments, I'll be reading to you from verses 34 and 35. But tonight, this is like a, it's like a heart message. And in one sense, it's a message to prepare you for what God is about to do in this place. I have no, no doubt whatsoever after last year and this, this, this year also that this building is not going to contain what God is about to do. But often what happens is excitement attracts people, but it's love that keeps people. And so I want to encourage you, don't just have exciting, and that's great to see young people out the front and little kids in the morning running on the platform trying to get to the other side. He made it to the other end. I was cheering him on. It was wonderful. It's great to have excitement, great to have a great building, but what ultimately keeps people grounded in a sense of community is love. And that's what these words are all about tonight. So the title of my message is A New Commandment, because Jesus in these verses here gives us a new commandment. So tonight my vision is that, is that this church 
would not just be known because of its great music and great worship and great youth program, great youth leader, uh, yeah, great, great building, but it would be known by the authenticity of your love. It would be known because you have authentic relationships. Not just turn around and give someone a high five, but I mean authentic relationships where you're involved in each other's lives. And so I want to read those verses to you. Uh, John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, where Jesus said, he's got his disciples around him, a new command I give you, he said, love one another. Then he said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. He said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, the background of this text tonight is that the public ministry of Jesus was over. Nothing more was going to be spoken to the crowds. And we now read of Jesus' final teaching to his disciples. And the context here is that Jesus is eating one final meal with his disciples and he knows that very soon he's about to go to the cross. Under satanic inspiration, Judas is getting ready to betray Jesus. But under divine inspiration, Jesus is preparing his disciples for what was going to happen after the cross. And in this chapter, just prior, just, just prior to these verses in this chapter, we read of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. A significant moment, a significant event that we'll, 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 we'll come back to in a few moments' time. And Jesus' heart must have been filled with every possible emotion. Imagine what it was like for him. He knows he's about to go to the cross and bear the punishment and the penalty for the sins of the whole world. But at the same time, he's got his disciples here and he's got to fill them with a sense of empowerment about what they are to do once he is gone. He knows that Judas is about to betray him. He knows that the Scriptures have spoken about someone who, who, who will, will betray him. So I can imagine that every emotion must have been bubbling around in the heart and the mind of Jesus. And right into the middle of that, out of all that he could say, he says, a new command I give you, love each other as I have loved you. And I was thinking about the words of Jesus here, where he said, a new command I give you. Love is not a new command at all. In fact, it's a very old command. It goes back to Old Testament law. In Leviticus, which is not my favorite book, chapter 19, verse 18, it reads there, love your neighbor as yourself. So I began to think about the question, what is new about the new command? What was Jesus trying to get through to these guys? What was he trying to convey to them? What heart was he trying to communicate with them? What is new about the new, new command? Number one is this. The first thing I see in these, these two, two verses here that is new about the new command that Jesus has given us is that the object of our love is new. The object of our love is new. Jesus said, love one another. In Old Testament law, they, they were to love their neighbor, which is very general. But here, Jesus modifies neighbor, and he says, you are to love one another. Think about who he's speaking to. His disciples are reclining around the table with him, and he's speaking to them. So he's not just speaking here about love for all people, which is important, but to really have an identifying love with those for whom we are joined in the community of faith. And I'm sure that you love those who love you, and I'm sure that you love those who like you. But the question here today is, do you really authentically love one another? Let me tell you a story. 
Many years ago, when I was about 18 years of age, I was running the PA system of my father's church. And at the end of the service, a mate and I were, were leaning up against the back wall of the church, looking for someone to fellowship with, with, which is Christian code for, we were checking out the girls. So my mate and I are leaning up the back and we're having a look around. While I'm scanning the room, I look over on my right-hand side and there's this new girl that I'd never seen before. She was short, she was cute, she had beautiful eyes. And as I was looking at her, she was looking at me. And every guy in this room knows when you get eye contact, you're in. So I, I did some reconnaissance. I began to ask around about who this girl was. And I found out that she'd just moved to Australia from the United Kingdom. This was her very first Sunday in church. So I felt it was my Christianly duty to go and welcome her to my father's church. And so I went to her and I said, hi, my name is Bruce. And she said, hi, my name is Fiona. And I said, would you like somebody to show you Melbourne? Again, I felt it was my Christianly duty to show her the city of Melbourne. And she looked up at me and she said, yeah, I love that. So I picked her up the following Friday night and I took her to a place in Melbourne called One Tree Hill, which is on a hill on the hills in the Dandenongs of the east of Melbourne. And you can oversee the whole city. And it was nighttime and we began to talk. And on the way back to the car, our hands happened to touch and there was a bit of a spark that happened there and from that we began to foster a relationship and about two years later I proposed to her and then in January 1983 I married that lady and I've been married to her for 35 years. Thank you. My basic point is this, even though up to that point in my life I'd love my parents, I love my brother, I'd love those in the youth group as well. When I met Fiona, I had a new object of love. I began to experience a depth and a degree of love that I have never known before. And I'm sure that tonight you love your family. And as I mentioned, I'm sure that you love those who love you. But the implication of this command is, do you really love one another? Those with whom you joined in the community of faith. This means loving people that we would normally not have any time for. It means loving people who we may not normally mix with at all. People from different generations, people from different cultures, people from different backgrounds, people from a different context. Do we really love them? Let me tell you a story. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, this is back in the mid-1980s, we had a young guy get saved called Steve. Steve was homeless. This, is, this isn't him. Oh, where's the next picture? Thank you. This isn't Steve. This is just a picture of a homeless man to give you a second picture. Anyway, Steve got saved. And we tried to get Steve accommodation, but he preferred to live on the streets. He couldn't handle living in a home. And unfortunately, that meant that Steve never used to shower and never used to bathe. And he used to smell. I mean, I can't describe how bad his smell was. And you would see him in church because there would be Steve sitting all by himself. And around him is a radius of empty seats because everyone couldn't stand his smell. And Steve used to stink. He was a lovely guy, but he used to really smell. But what he would do is he would go and rub his face on the road, and he would cut himself on the bitumen. Then he'd come into the office, and he would say, I've been, you know, I've been beaten up by some thugs, and I have no money. Could you please give me some money? Anyway, 
One Thursday morning, I'm duty pastor, which meant that I was the bunny who was rostered on on Thursdays so that if anyone came to the front door of the church, I had to be the one that, that, that would attend to them. And I hated being duty pastor because if there was any freak in Melbourne loose on the streets that day, they would come to our church on a Thursday morning. So my phone rings and, and the receptionist says, Bruce, yeah. She said, Steve is here. And I thought, oh, okay. And I put the phone down and I was really angry and I said out loud, there is no way I'm bringing Steve into my office. He stinks. He's going to stink out my office. There is no way I'm going to bring him in. And I took one step away from my office and I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit and I knew I was in trouble. I took one step and I heard the voice of the Lord speak very clearly. And he said, Bruce, you think more of your office than this human life that Jesus gave his blood for. You think more of your office than this human life that Jesus gave his blood for. And it was like in that moment, the Lord took all of my self-righteousness and self-importance away. And I suddenly saw I was judging this man because of how he smelt on the outside, not giving him the value and the worth that Jesus had for him. Jesus died for him as much as he died for me. And I'd forgotten that my sin is a greater stench against God than Steve's smell was against me. And something happened inside of my heart that I must never judge anybody by how they look or smell on the outside or what they've been through in their life or their moral background or anything anything about that. I've got to love them in the same way that Jesus loves me. And something happened in my heart. And I went out to him and I welcomed him and I brought him into my office. And we had a policy that we never gave money because we didn't know what they would do with the money. But we would give them a voucher for coals or woolies. And I prayed with him and he left. And then I got out the Glen 20 and I deodorized my office because it really did stink. But the point I want to make here is that God did something inside of my heart. I want to say to you, friends, today, God is about to move in this church in an unprecedented, unparalleled way. But what I'm trying to forewarn you about is maybe they're not going to be like you. Maybe they're going to come from a different culture or a different background than you. But Jesus tells us if we are to authentically be His people, if we are to reflect His nature, if we are to reflect His love, we have got to love one another. And you think about the, the relationships that, that the disciples had. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And there were frictions and factions and accusations and criticism. There was this fomenting debate about who was the most important. And they're all thinking about themselves and what would happen after Jesus. They were putting their self-interests above God's interests. And right into the middle of that, Jesus says, No, it's not about you. It's about loving one another. So my, my point to you today is that Jesus gave a new command. And the first reason we see why it's new is because the object of that love is new. And I'm asking you today to just to, to break out of just your own little circle and faction. And I know that you probably like your friends, but for the sake of the gospel and the sake of the kingdom and the sake of people knowing and experiencing who Jesus is, may we be others-centered and love others in the same way that Jesus loves and accepts us. Number two, a second thing I see in, in, this, uh, in these verses about what's new about the new, new command is this that the expression 
that is the demonstration or the model of our love is new. Listen to what Jesus said here. He said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Have a think about that. As I have loved you. He's talking to his disciples. You must love one another. And here we see the very model and the meaning of love that Jesus had embodied and he exemplified what real love was. And the love that he's speaking about here is not just an emotion or a feeling. Love has been defined by what he has done and by what he was about to do upon the cross. And Jesus said, I want your relationships to reflect the way that I have related to you. I want you to love one another in the same way that I have loved you. And I began to think, think, think about the words of Jesus, to love as I have loved you. And I just want to break this point down a little bit. What does it mean for us in a practical sense to love each other in this house in the way that Jesus has loved us? Well, I would suggest A, that love is identification with others. Love is identifying with others. God so loved the world, the Bible says, that he gave his one and only son. Jesus was fully God, but he came as fully man. When we could do nothing, when we were powerless to bridge the gulf between us and God, when we were powerless to reach out to God because of our sin, it blinded us, it darkened us, it separated us. God, in His greatness and in His great love, sent His one and only Son. He took all of the initiative. He identified with us. He came down. There's a verse up here, John 1, 4, 4, 14, that says, And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Jesus came down. And the point I'm trying to make here is that if we are to love each other in the same way that Jesus has loved us, we must not wait for people to come to us. We must not, not wait for people to show an interest in us. But we've got to do what Jesus did. He came down. He identified with us. He reached out to us. He came down. Let me tell you a story. A few years ago, we had an American preacher come through our church. And he told the story about in his church, he had a few thousand people. And they had many small groups that used to meet every Thursday. And there was a group of ladies that, that, that used to meet and have some time together to pray. But one day, one of those ladies was diagnosed with leukemia. And her friends began to pray for her, and then she began her treatment. And as a result of her treatment, her hair began to fall out. Initially, it was just a few strands of hair, but after a while, big clumps of hair began to fall out. And she felt unattractive, and she felt uh, self-conscious about this. So she started to wear beanies, and she started to wear scarves. But after a while, all her hair had fallen out. And she was so ashamed and she felt so self-conscious that she stopped going to church and eventually she stopped going to the small group as well. And these ladies said, what can we do to reach out to her? And so they came up with a plan and they rang her and they said, next Thursday, we're coming to your house to have small group at your house. And she tried to say, no, I don't want you to come. But her friends were very persuasive and they said, we are going to come. And she said later, she just had this big knot in her tummy because she didn't want people to see her without any hair. On that Thursday morning, inevitably, there was the, the knock on the door as her friends arrived. And she went to the door, and she was blown away. 
because all of her friends had shaved their hair off. All of her friends had shaved their hair. So instead of her having to feel ashamed or embarrassed about what she was going through, her friends identified with her. Her friends did what Jesus did. Her friends met her at the point of her need. So my point today is that true love must be visible. True love must be tangible. True love must be demonstrated. True love must be initiated. That we have got to reach out to others, not wait for them to come to us. If you're saying here today, oh, there is no love in this church, let me say very loudly back to you that change in the church starts with change change in you. That if you want this church to be a loving church, it starts inside of you. God took all of the initiative in Jesus. And Jesus said, love each other as I have loved you. And what that shows us is that we have got to be people who take initiative to reach out to and love others in Jesus' name. But loving as Jesus has loved us also means be serving people. And this goes against everything to do in our Western individualistic culture. But love is also seen through serving people. Now, remember our context here, John chapter 13. And to me, this is one of the most vivid and moving stories in the whole of Scripture. The Bible tells us that Jesus has come to have a meal, one final meal with his disciples. Now, in those days, it was the custom of those houses that a slave would wash the feet of all of the dinner guests. But there's no slave there. So all the disciples have walked in and they're reclining at the table. Now, often when we picture the scene of the Last Supper, we think of da Vinci's painting, you know, with with the trestle and all the boys all lined up there and John the Apostle who looks like a girl leaning against Jesus. You know, that's how how we picture it. But that's not how it was. In those days, the tables were about that high off the ground. You didn't sit at the table. You laid at the table. You reclined at the table. You would be laying down there, which meant that your nose was precariously close to the unwashed feet of the man who was reclining beside you. See, the disciples were fighting about who was the most important, and there was no way that any one of them was going to condescend to take the place of the slave. They were prepared to fight for a throne. They weren't prepared to fight for a towel. So all of these guys are at this table with unwashed feet. And then something astonishing happens. Jesus got up from the meal and he took off his outer clothing and he wrapped himself in a towel. And Jesus got a bowl of water and Jesus knelt down and began to wash the feet of his disciples. I wonder sometimes if we truly understand the significance of what Jesus was doing in this moment. This is Jesus, the living Word of God. This is the one that spoke the universe into being. This is the one that said, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be a universe, and there was a universe. Let there be a mountain, and there was a tectonic shift, and mountains were formed. Let there be an ocean, and by the Word of His power, everything that we see in creation came to be by the word of his power. And he is this same Jesus, clothed in flesh, kneeling down, washing the grime of life's walk off his disciples' feet. The Son of God washing his disciples' feet. And at the end of it, he stood and said, You call me Lord and you call me Master and Teacher, and that is what I am. 
He said, And uh, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. He said, I have set you an example. That'll be up there in a moment. That you should do as I have done. You should do as I have done. And what we learned there is that Jesus set the standard for the group is that spiritual love serves. Spiritual love does not demand or desire. Spiritual love serves. And again, I say, if this church is to become everything that Jesus wants it to be, it's not just being welcoming. It's not just being friendly. It's about doing whatever we can to help the lives of others. Let me tell you a story. On the screen behind me is, uh, on the left-hand side, is a man called Bill Wilson. And when the story was written, which is in the 1990s, he was the pastor of the largest Sunday school in the world. He had 10,000 children that they used to bus in on a fleet of yellow buses into New York City. At the time where he was ministering was the most violent place on earth. It was the most likely place in the world that you would would get murdered. Uh, Today it's places like Afghanistan and and, and, uh, South Africa and other places. But back then... He was there. He tells a story that one day there was a Puerto Rican lady who'd recently given her life to Jesus. And she came to him and said, Pastor, through a translator, I want to do something for Jesus. And he said, well, I don't know what you you could do. But she basically begged him, please, she said, I want to do something for Jesus. So he said, okay, I want you to get on board one of the buses and just love those kids. So this Puerto Rican lady would get on board one of the buses every Saturday, go out. She would find the worst behaved kid in the bus and just love that kid. But after a few weeks, she was drawn to one particular little black boy. This little black boy got on board the bus with his sister every Saturday, but he never spoke a word. And she would see him and she would embrace him and pick him up and put him on her knee and wrap her arms around him. And she'd learn some words and she would whisper to him, Jesus loves you and I love you. And this went on week after week. The little boy would get on board. She would pick him up. She would envelop him in her arms and she would whisper, Jesus loves you and I love you. But he never spoke a word. Month after month after month. One day, the little boy gets on board the bus She looks at him, she beams, she picks him up, she wraps her arms around him, and she whispers, Jesus loves you, and I love you. And to her astonishment, the little boy turned around, and he started and said, and I love you too. He said, and he wrapped his arms around her. That was at 2.30 in the afternoon. At 6.30 p.m. that night, that little boy was found dead. His mother had beaten him up killed him, thrown him out with the trash underneath the fire escape. All that little boy had ever known was misery and rejection and heartache. But every Saturday afternoon, there was this Puerto Rican lady who could hardly speak a word of English, but she was an oasis of the love of Jesus. She was the hands of Jesus. She was the feet of Jesus. And it was all because she served. She did whatever she could to help the lives of others. Serving Jesus is not just what we do up here. That's just one expression of it. But it's doing whatever we can. And maybe today you feel like nobody but encourages you. No one values you. No one affirms you. No one sees the things that you are doing. But I want you to know today, serving makes 
a difference. And I encourage you not just to attend this church, but to be part of the life of this church and to do whatever you can to serve the lives of others to make a difference in Jesus' name. No matter how insignificant, no matter how other people see that need that you would say today, I want to make a difference. If we are to love in the same way that Jesus loves us, then we must serve one, one another. And also see... If we are to love in the way that Jesus has loved us, love is self-sacrifice for others. And to me, love is defined by the cross of Jesus. It is love of that caliber which his disciples are called upon to express to one another. And Jesus' type of love is self-giving, self-sacrificing, selfless. Sadly, today, many people live their Christian life as if it's all about them. Me, me, me. Oh, I didn't get much out of worship today. Oh, I didn't like that preacher today. And blah, blah, blah. Me, me, me. Can I say really respectfully and lovingly today, the Christian life is not about you. It's about Him. And it's about His life inside of us. And truthfully, when you start living an other-centered life, you will know fulfillment and joy that is off the chart. You will begin to know a dimension of the life of Jesus flowing out of you beyond what you have ever known before. Because in the light of the cross, every other description and definition of love just pales into insignificance. In Jesus, we see love that is authentic. He was able to, he, he, he self-sacrificed so that we could go further and go higher, that we would know him. And the principle there is, if we are to love each other in the way that Jesus has loved us, it means sometimes making sacrifices that other people can go further and higher. I know that you in this church have a great passion for Vanuatu. And let me tell you a story. On the, man, on the screen behind me is a man called John Patton, who was a, not him. Okay, the next one, please. That's him. John, John, John Patton. And John Patton was, was a Scottish missionary. Sorry to wake you, Joe. Okay, thank you. I, but I wouldn't never embarrass you. Thank you. And who, who won the pool last night out of three? I won't embarrass you at all. Anyway, John, John Patton was the Scottish missionary. And when he was a young man, he was serving in the Glasgow City Mission, and he heard that they were looking for missionaries to go to the South Pacific Islands of New, 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 New Hebrides, which is modern-day Vanuatu. The previous missionary to him had been eaten by the cannibals. He heard about this need, and he says, I will go. So he went, he went to the mission society, and he was um, underqualified for it, and there was an old man there called Mr. Dixon. And he said, Mr. John, he said, don't go. He said, you'll be eaten by the cannibals. Don't go. But listen to what John Patton said. He said, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years and your prospect is soon to be laid in the grave there to be eaten by worms. And I confess to you that if I can live and die honoring and serving the Lord Jesus, it makes no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. Because in that great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. What John Patton was saying was, it doesn't matter how I die, what matters is how I live. And he was prepared to lay down his life for others. And he went on to have a long and a fruit, fruit, fruitful ministry in those islands. And today, the South Pacific is one of the most Christian places on earth, all because men like him were prepared to pay a price. 
And what I'm trying to say here today is if we are to be an authentic community of love, then we need to be prepared to make sacrifices for others. Or as Jesus said, John 15 verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. For greater love is no one than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. And my third and final point, point tonight, because my time is nearly gone, is this. Thirdly, what is new about the new command that Jesus has given us? And we've seen that the object of our love is new. And secondly, we saw that the model of that love is new. But thirdly and finally, what's new about the command that Jesus has given us? And that is that the evangelistic power of this love is new. Listen to what Jesus said. Verse number 35. By this... All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So the command to love each other was new because the relationships that Christians are to have based on Jesus' example would be new to the world. That the world would have never seen such authentic, selfless relationships before. And this puts love into its proper context. We cannot isolate or dislocate this from Jesus' command and His overriding mission. He did not command us to love each other in an insulated, isolated cocoon on a Tibetan hillside. He said to us that we are to love one another as a means of authenticating the gospel message. Our relationships and our unity are one of the signs to the world around us of the authenticity of our message. So what I'm trying to say here today is that our relationships have evangelistic power. And it's all about reaching people. This is love, irrespective of a person's background or age or gender or color or moral background or social status or influence or intelligence or religion. It means that we, based on the love of Jesus, love others inclusively, indiscriminately, universally. And I tell you, friends, when a congregation starts to love like that, the Illawarra will know that Jesus is real. And my prayer is that in a world that is starved of relationships and in a world where many people are lonely and in a world where many people are striving for a sense of identity and belonging, that when they come into this house, they would not just be impressed by the great world-class child facility or the building or the worship or the preaching, but my prayer is when they walk walk through those doors, they would say, I have never felt love like this in my life. I have never been accepted like this in my life. I have never seen authentic love like this anywhere in my life. But what that means is there's got to be change in us that says, Lord, I need to get ready. Something needs to happen inside of me. Maybe you were saying tonight, well, nobody ever talk, talks to me, so should, why should I talk, talk to them? Let me say it again. Change in the st church starts with change in you. Maybe you're saying to Nabal, I haven't got time for all this lovey-dovey stuff. And my response is, if we have not stewarded our time to make time for others, then we're missing the heartbeat of the gospel. We're missing the heartbeat of the heart of God. Or maybe you were saying today, but I tried, I reached out to people, I got hurt. And the sad thing is that sometimes people do get hurt in church. And if you've been hurt in church, take a number and line up behind me. 
And it's a very long line. There's a reason that many pastors have white hair. And it's not just genetics because some genes stop, stop, stop producing color. Sometimes it's pain. But I want to say this, friends. The church at its worst is still better than the world at its best. And the church, even though it's got broken and frail people, is the hope of the world. It's still what Jesus uses to reach out to, to the lives of, of others. And the head of the person in front of you is the head of someone who matters to Jesus. So in summary and conclusion, what, what have we learned tonight? What, what do we need to do about what, what I've been talking about? Jesus, in that final night with his disciples, gave them a new command. And he said, love each other as I have loved you. And what we have seen there is that the, the object of our love is new. If God has joined you to, to this church, he's calling you to love each other, to engage in each other's lives. You're very friendly. You're very warm. You're very welcoming. But what I'm trying to say tonight is I feel that God wants to do more. He wants this to be a real loving environment where people just feel that, uh, that the love of Jesus. And the way that we express that love is new. That we are the ones that take initiative. And no matter how young you are or how old you are, you can make a difference in somebody else's life by going to them as God came in Jesus Christ and reaching out and showing an interest and embracing and, and learning about them and knowing about them. By, by doing what we can to serve and to make sacrifices for others. And we've seen tonight this is new because it is going to have power in, the, in Shell Harbor, the Illawarra, I had to remember the name, and beyond. That God wants to do some amazing stuff. So I want to pray for you tonight. I want to pray that this will be a place that is known and has a reputation for the love of Jesus in this place. Would you mind standing with me, please? Thank you. And just with our eyes closed tonight, out of all that I have said, what's the one thing that was the word of the Lord to you? What's the one thing that you need to do about the things I've been preaching about tonight? What is it that God wants to do inside of your heart? Just before I pray, would you take a moment and before God, with all your heart, just talk to Him about that one thing that He's putting His hand on, His finger upon in your life tonight. Just take a moment. If your heart's been hard, ask him to soften you. If you've been judging, ask, ask for, for forgiveness. If you just feel like you haven't got love, ask him to fill you with the love of Jesus. Just take a moment, please. And then I'll pray, pray, pray for you tonight. Father, we are in your presence. And we welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are here. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would fill our hearts with your life and with your love. I pray that tonight our hearts would change. I pray that our hearts would be transformed. I pray that, Lord, as you so love the world, 
that, Lord, we would have a heart for others that we've never known before. Let our eyes be open, not just to, to just think about our immediate circle or those that we like or those that we love, but help us to see others and genuinely and authentically engage with others. I pray, Lord, with all my heart that something would happen in this place tonight so that this church would be known by its love above everything else and all the great things, legitimate things it does, that it would be known above all things because of its love. I pray that, Lord, tonight you would touch our hearts, melt our hearts, and transform our hearts, that the love of Jesus may flow out of us and out of this house. I pray in the name of Jesus for your glory. Amen.